Foodie Films is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey there, foodie fans, and welcome back to another episode of Foodie Films. Of course, this is your host, your chef de cinema cuisine, Kyle Reinfried. And boy, are you in for a treat today, because I I was in for a treat when I recorded this episode. And while this episode isn't your typical episode, we're not highlighting a food-centric movie, we're highlighting our food-centric guest, and that guest is Pat LaFrida of LaFrida Meats. Now, if you're not familiar with his name or his company's name, I'm sure you've probably had their amazing product, their beef, their pork, their lamb, and it was such a pleasure to meet him. I, I reached out to him, and he got back to me, and he's, he's a busy guy. He didn't have to, but here we are. Here's this episode, and at the end of the episode, I <laughs> I kind of just asked him if, I could, if uh, he'd give me a tour sometime, and he said, yeah, right after we stopped recording this episode. So there we go. Went on a tour, and I filmed it. And I posted it on our YouTube channel. Remember, we've got a YouTube channel. So check that out if you haven't already. And what, what am I yammering on for? Here we go. Here's Pat Jr. of La Frida Meats. Pat, thank you so much for meeting with me. I know you're a busy guy. That's actually kind of what I want to jump into right away. Uh, we're emailing, and I notice when I'm responding, these emails are coming to me at 2.30 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning. It's a little creepy sometimes. If you don't know <laughs> that we work 24 hours a day. Okay. So, so I this, cover, these are work hours. These are Yes, are, yes. I cover the night shift. <laughs> so that's when the magic happens. That's when the magic happens. Okay. Right. So that, that's when from 6 p.m. until around 6 a.m., we are producing and cutting meat for orders that have come in that will ship out that very morning. So okay. just a few hours later, after the restaurants have ordered the meat, it's delivered to them, portioned and, and, and processed. So you're very hands-on. I mean, you've built yes. up this company, you took over. So I have your book, Meat. I love it. I read in the prologue and reading throughout the book, but you took over the company in 95, around that? Yes. Okay. And so, I mean, since then, what has your role been and how has it changed? Well, so I'm the third generation um, to run this company and from four generations of cutting meat. So my great-grandfather was a butcher and brought that skill and that trait here to to the States. Um, So when I joined 
the the family business i had just graduated college i have a degree in finance and went to work on wall street hated it and begged my dad to join the family business that i knew so well because the definition of a family business in itself is that if you're part of the family if you have a day off from school yeah you're working at that family business <laughs> you know you do everything to pitch in yeah so my dad had this great and he has this amazing work work ethic but he knew that um starting me off at the very bottom like i was the lowest person on the totem pole no preferential treatment zero and yeah. and in that you you are you get to learn everything so there's not a position in this company that i haven't filled wow from, that's the best way to learn yeah. it is from being a porter to a butcher to a tech to um you know anything accounting wise to you know being an electrician when a machine goes down <laughs> like you you have to know it all and, and and having that knowledge has really really helped us yeah but working overnight and overseeing what the product that actually goes and and our chefs see and 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 rely on is very important so as we got bigger we backed up our start time to actually the night before at 6 p.m mm -hmm. and i took that upon myself to over to continue to oversee that that process so how long have you been doing the over overnight shift um we, I've, I've been doing the overnight night shift since we moved our hours back which okay. is at least 15 years and how long we're in new jersey right now yes the business started in well like you said your grandfather brought or great-grandfather brought it over from italy but uh it moved around a few locations in, in like the west side kind of yeah we were in manhattan in the meatpacking district for 95 years a very appropriate place to yes. have a meat company <laughs> there were 250 meat companies there when wow. i started yeah. um so to get down Washington Street back even in the 90s would take a few hours in the morning if you wanted to drive through that, which you would never did. Uh, you always parked on the outskirts and walked in yeah, and then went back to your vehicles because you had to get supplied from somewhere. And the, the history behind the meatpacking district is the train. Beef came in on the train. Yeah. So that's um, now the High Line. That's now the High Line which my dad refuses to go up because <laughs> oh, man. he remembers it as yeah. being the, 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 the major artery of where all the beef came into the city. Sure. Have you been up there? I've been up there, yes. Okay. No yes. grudges or is it just, does it not feel right? Does it feel... You know, I, there was no train. I never, you know, okay. I, I, I wasn't around when, <laughs> when the train was bringing in beef. But um, the stories that my dad tells about gentlemen uh, holding up the train and the conductor saying, we're not out west. What are you really holding up the train? <laughs> they would make the train stop in Midtown yeah. and throw the beef off the side of the train. Okay. And to awaiting vehicles below. And they would throw the beef in until the FBI had to get involved and shut wow. that down. So, yeah, robbing trains didn't just happen out west. Yeah. It happened right, right in New York City. I want that movie. I want to see that movie. <laughs> uh, that's, that's really... That's really interesting. I, remember, I read in the prologue of Meat that what your father would be 
use like a shopping cart from like an A and P. Yes. To, otherwise, he'd be carrying like two hundred pounds of meat over his shoulder. So you start, but you that was like a coveted. You watched that shopping cart with your life. And, and you had to use that shopping cart. Imagine hundreds of pounds of meat in a shopping cart going over the cobblestone oh, of yeah. of the meatpacking district. Now it, that cobblestone was a tough life. Yeah. Now <laughs> now that cobblestone that everyone's like, oh, this is so nice. Oh, and it's, it's beautiful. Just, it's beautiful yeah. And they're you know <laughs> buying fancy dresses. I don't know. Yes. Whatever they're no, doing. No, that area there. has. <laughs> the standard and everything you know and my dad had the um the the right mindset of always reinvesting his money into the business and that gave him the ability to buy our property in new york where we were so most of the biggest reason i should say that, that that there aren't 250 meat companies there anymore is that when real estate shot up sure the it meat is. industry cannot sustain those rent increases mm-hmm. where where now you have beautiful apartment buildings and condos that are millions of dollars each for one bedrooms yeah um, you know you, the meat it being in the meat industry you you're you're not making those types of profits to sustain that yeah so um my father owning his own and and saving and buying his own property slightly south of the meat packing district helped us survive through that phase mm-hmm. of that that real estate increase because most of those small companies either had to fold up or didn't have another generation like my dad had to take over and continue the business yeah, it's it's kind of similar to the I mean the Fulton Street fish market moving out too I mean that's well, they got I mean, pushed from, out they got yeah they got pushed out and you know I we, think there's we, a lot of crime we, happening over there too. Now they're up in yes. the Bronx, right? Now. Yes, yes. <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of not just fish being shipped in. I think there, but. right. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of a lot of hanky panky stuff going on. <laughs> I I want to kind of take it back to the beginning right now of uh, of you know La Frida, and did this? I I think I watched something maybe on your website. Did this all come to be because of a fight that your grand great grandfather yes. had? Yes, my great grandfather had a fight in Italy okay. as a child um, and lost the fight and was crying outside a butcher shop. <laughs> and the butchers brought him in. Yeah. And that's still when someone injured who had um, like a swollen eye in this case yeah. put cold meat on the wound for the swelling to go down. So there he lied in the butcher shop all day with this meat on his eye. And they couldn't get him to stop crying. And they said, what is wrong? It's The fight's over. Yeah. He said, no, no, it's not that. I can't go home and tell my dad that I got into a fight. He'll kill me. Oh, boy. So they told him, okay, go home and tell him you got into a fight. Be honest. But tell him you also got yourself a job. And he wow. started working from that moment on in the butcher shop. Um, I'm assuming you've traveled to Italy. And yes. Have you visited where you're great-grandfather grew up? Or? I have not had the opportunity to do that. Okay. Um, I, I'll tell you, my my family as immigrants, you know, my ancestors, my ancestors mm-hmm. um, they were always proud of where they were from, but they never looked back. Yeah. America was the land of opportunity for them. And it was really about moving forward. So when my grandfather was in 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 uh, school, uh, lower school, they actually changed our family name from Lofredo to Lafreda oh. to sound more American, and that's just the way immigrants then 
looked at America. It yeah. was really a land of opportunity. My family embraced it. It's no excuse for me not to go back and visit where my great-grandfather or great-grandmother were from, but um, th- that, that, that really does explain a lot. You know, they, 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 I once, as a kid, asked my dad, how come we don't change our name back if they made us change our name? Yeah. And he, he said, we're proud of Lafrida. We are the Lafridas. And, 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 and coming to America was um, a gift. And that's that that really left a lasting impression on on me and 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 when I look at at current immigration, it gives me a, a good perspective as to how things have changed for some when sure. when they come to America to what embrace its opportunities or to exploit them yeah, yeah, there's a big difference I mean that was part of a time where people came over and it was much more. I feel like by the second generation or your first, you know, generation that was born there, it was very about assimilation. You know, obviously there was division. You know, sure division. I mean, so you grew up in Brooklyn in Bensonhurst, and that's a pretty that was an Italian stronghold. Yeah, and then next to an Irish stronghold, next to a Jewish stronghold, next to an African American stronghold. I mean, mm-hmm. that it really was. Um, it, it might as well have had borders. Um, yeah. it's it, Brooklyn's not like that anymore because it, it it now has its new first generation Americans. I think Brooklyn will always be that, and let's exclude the Williamsburg area okay. of of, <laughs> of hippies. But you still have um, I should, should say hipsters, but you still have those sections of first generation Russian Americans, first yeah. generation Chinese Americans. Um, so. That same concept of Brooklyn of landing there and establishing yourself in America um, still does exist. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been a melting pot since uh, probably. I mean, obviously since the first big European immigration of again, like the Irish and the Italians, maybe even the, the Germans. Germans. Yeah. Yes. And that's that's exactly what I am. I'm like the the original <laughs> yep. Caucasian mutt. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, when did you first start working? Like, you know, you said your dad didn't want you in the business, but I'm sure, like, again, I, I keep referring to, you know, your book, but it was, I don't want to, you got to buy the book. I don't want <laughs> I want you to tell the whole book on here. I want people to buy your book. It's a great book. Thank you. Um, but I, I loved the little bit that I got to learn about your history. And so... You know, your dad didn't want you to, but you were, you just had such a, I have a nostalgic feel because my dad, so I'm then the opposite of you because my dad is third generation, like construction worker. He carried on a paving contractor. That's my, his grandfather came over from Italy, started a paving company. My grandfather married into the family. He took it over to my father and my dad's like, no, you're going to college. And let's, I mean, let's face it i'm just if you, if you looked at me you'd be like oh, you can't you wouldn't be able to stand the heat <laughs> so uh so now i work in production and i get to have great conversations like this but from an early time you were just you were just fascinated right you were fascinated i as early as as 10 years old my dad would take me to work so he used to begin work at 3:30 a.m. and yeah. and taking that drive I'll, I'll i'll always remember uh, grabbing his Marlboro Reds on the drive-in, and 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 smelling the 
want to call it the unlit cigarettes and how sweet that smelled <laughs> and how cold it was in the morning at that, you know, at that age. But going into a land of the meatpacking district at 10 years old and walking through that to see uh, a, the city that never sleeps. I mean, it, it was just bustling at 3.30 a.m. And you needed to get in and get your meat and get back to your facility Mm-hmm. get your orders from your customers and portion them all. It was always something that fascinated me. Compare that to selling intangibles like stocks over the telephone to strangers. Yeah. I hated it. Impersonal. Impersonal. You didn't really see your customer. You didn't see, there was nothing tangible about it. Delivering and being a source of meat, something that, not only was going to be eaten by the customer of your customer, um, but the idea that your customers are only going to be successful if you're able to supply them with the best meat. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a real sense of of, of importance, of, of value of, of what you're doing. And I loved the work ethic. My dad um, to this day works with us. So he's still starts work at 3:30 a.m. Wow. And he, I get to see him every morning and it's That's great. um it's it really is amazing. So yeah, he did not want me working in the meat business and I was the generation that was supposed to go off and go uh-huh. to college and become something bigger and better than a butcher as he saw it. Yeah. And I I I went down that road, but in the back of my my mind I always had a passion for this business and I, I begged him to to be a part of it and uh, finally he he let me in but um, in order to sway me away from being in the meat business <laughs> yeah I had to work those long hours yeah. and cut meat and freeze I mean we work in 36 degree temperature yeah so to to be I was you know thin real thin as a kid so I would really I'd be cold the entire throughout the entire process but I just there was something about being a source of this huge enterprise of restaurants in New York City to be a source of of one of the center of the plate items was fascinating to me mm-hmm. and then getting on the truck as the helper uh with a driver to make the deliveries and then to be the one to go into the kitchens and actually see the chefs yeah. and each chef would give me like a half a sandwich or or something <laughs> and and then you you know as i got older and in my teens to stop and have conversations with the chefs and and for them to actually show me the finished product of what we had sold them um and get to do all of the, all, all of those tastings is something that can't be replicated. Yeah. Chefs don't want you in their kitchen. It's very rare that you get the opportunity to see what's in the kitchen and what's going on. And part of delivering meat was being in the in the back yeah. and being in the kitchen. Um, but you you know, sitting here now talking about it, I, I never really understood how valuable that was. Yeah. You know what this is? This is a happy version of the song Cats in the Cradle. This is like, <laughs> versus the son like being like, Dad, I don't have time. It's like, you guys, now you're working together. And it's like, yeah, it's exactly. a happy version. Uh, <laughs> you are a behind the scenes kind of guy. You know, like, did you ever think that you'd become like a household name? 
No. No. It was never the goal. Uh, we don't look at it that way. We And we, I think the moment we think or see ourselves as anything but what we are, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll lose we'll lose something of mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll lose our our identity somehow um it was always about making the restaurant succeed we we only succeed if they do and the fact that we care so much and our customers have become our best friends and 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 look at us as family yeah um th- that that that's really what what my grandfather taught my father and what my father taught me. Um, and that is really one major key to our success. Um, the whole celebrity thing and being a household name, it doesn't phase us. Mm-hmm. We don't look at We never look at it that way. Now, I mean, we're in the 21st century. We have social media. People are you know, pretty vocal and can be judgmental. What do you think is one of the bigger misconceptions with like the meat industry? There are several that that haunt me, um, and it really has to do with with the marketing of bigger corporations. And I think a good example would be grass-fed beef. Um, there's a huge misconception with grass-fed beef being healthier for you, being better for the environment, and and I. On social media, it's it's just caught on so much. I am not anti-grass-fed beef. We carry grass-fed beef. And quite frankly, uh, Bill Curtis from Chicago and I, um, about 15 years ago, started selling grass-fed beef to New York City, you know, well before the whole grass-fed movement. But the misconception that it has a smaller, smaller carbon footprint when... It's actually the opposite. The beef that we specialize in is corn finished. Um, all beef eats grass for about 85% of, of its life. And okay. then you either finish it off on, on grain and, and or corn, or you continue just with grass. But if you continue with just with grass, those animals are about 40 months of age. And compared to something finished off on grain and, and or corn, that's at 22 to 24 months of age. So that's almost half of the lifespan to get to that size yeah. that, that the cattle needs before it's harvested. Um, and it, the whole concept of, or the argument that animals can't digest corn, it, uh, no one is on the farms like I am. They, I, I don't want to say no one, but m- most of the people that make Your that comment. Yeah, I've eaten the corn that they eat. It's not corn on the cob. It's it, 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 it's a, it's it's cooked, it's sliced, and it's it's like eating cornflakes. Oh, okay. I stood underneath the the machine. Do the cows take their own milk and put it in the cornflakes? <laughs> There's Is no milk involved. Oh, okay, that's that's for real. But um, I've eaten I've eaten that 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 same source, and they we the industry wouldn't use that if they couldn't digest it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But what's very important with the age of the animals, besides the fact that you would have a larger carbon footprint if it was grass-fed and lived to 40 months of age, BSE, which is mad cow disease, has only been found in animals over 30 months of age. Okay. So you're wow. in a different realm yeah. now of, of safety 
when you are consuming animals that are over 30 months of age. It's never been detected in anything less. So not only is it less than 30, it's between 22 and 24 months. So, yeah, and I, I attribute that misconception to some great marketing from some major retailers to find an item that could set them apart and be their niche. Yeah. So the whole marketing campaign of grass-fed, grass-fed, grass yeah, it we we carry grass-fed also because it's my job to find the best meat in each category and to deliver that to my customers. And I have to supply my customers with what, with what they want. Yeah. I wasn't successful with grass-fed beef in Manhattan 15 years ago with Bill Curtis because it doesn't taste as good as corn finished. And in Manhattan, especially in the best steak restaurants, you don't you you have to deliver the best steak experience possible to get someone to come back in. We we all know how expensive Manhattan is. Sure, just yeah. to get to the restaurant, <laughs> you haven't paid the bill yet, and yeah. you know you're just 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 to you know get in to, to in transportation to get to the restaurant when you're sitting at that table in that business meeting. You better ha- deliver the best steak experience possible. Yeah. Um, and and that happens to be in dry aged, corn finished beef. When the company started out, so when let's say you're, or let's even go with like your grandfather and when your father is working, you're young. How many people? How many restaurants locations are you supplying to? My father was supplying to about 70 to 80 restaurants. And how many are you supplying to now? Uh, over 1,500. Wow. And, yes. and not just New York, not just New Jersey. How far How far are we going? Um, we distribute ourselves as far west as Las Vegas, as far south as Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in Chicago. We're in Boston. Um, so we, we have uh, national distribution distributors that take our product as from coast to coast wow um and as far as the farms that you visit are they kind of all spread out or is there like one state one like hub that like majority of the farms are in um they're spread out and as often as we can my cousin and or i uh, visit them as 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 often as we can and uh, getting out to the farms and walking the fields with the farmers and looking at how they separate our beef, how, what the raising and finish, finishing protocols that we set forth makes for a better product, ensuring that that's all happening. Um, it, it's important. But the main region where our beef comes from yeah. would be the Corn Belt region. That's where it's finished. So beef that maybe has started out in Florida or in Texas where it's warmer will then get shipped further north okay to to uh the Midwest where where you you have the corn supply and you have a little cooler temperature which makes for a better product. Oh okay, that's right. I'm learning so many things and 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 and, and like I and like I said I want people to buy and read your book, but what would you say because, I mean, it's a book for everyone. It's a yes. book for industry people. It's a book for your average day consumer going to the supermarket and just want to make a good dinner for the, for their family. 
So for, for those people, for your, you know, non-industry people, what do you think is like the best lesson or the best thing to take away from your book or just or obviously and the, the vast knowledge that you have of the industry? I think that um, I know for a fact that America has the best beef in the world. Um, and America has the most established beef network in the world. So I think the 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 best advice and the best takeaway is to buy meat fresh. Mm-hmm. Stay away from frozen product. Frozen product, when you, you hear about recalls from um, companies that range in the millions of pounds recalled, those millions of pounds are are because that product was frozen. Yeah. Like to eat fresh meat in a country where it's available, that's where you have the best experience. Mm-hmm. Not something that has been frozen and or frozen and defrosted and then sold to you. No, you should be buying fresh meat from your butcher on a regular basis, yeah. um, and stay away from, you know, prepackaged frozen product. That's the biggest takeaway. That's the thing. I mean, so I I grew up in a small town, Bergen County, New Jersey, uh, and I worked at a deli, and right next door was a meat market, a butcher, and it was the it was the first generation there. They were both, it was a German couple and they had a son that was born here and he took it over and not too long after he took it over. I mean, it's gotta be at least four, five years ago. I think he left and then he ended up going to work at like a whole foods or whatever. They had to shut down. Like that's, there wasn't a lot of people showing up. Even I still work at that deli time to time and people will come in and say, Oh, when did the meat market close? I'll be like, it closed. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why it closed. Yeah. I wonder what you're asking. It closed four or five years ago. Exactly. And you're asking when did it close? Now, I understand your shop rights, your AMPs. I mean, I'm clearly uh, Northeast Coast right now. What else is out there? Kroger's? I don't know. Uh, they have better deals. I mean, now you have your your Whole Foods and your, you know, kind of next step. It's like the HBO of cable. I don't know. Uh, but why do you think, I mean, just for those prices, did people really not, did people just go to those larger supermarkets instead of their meat markets? What do you think was the... No, I think Americans have had less free time. Um, I think that we work um, and we're, we're, we're stressed for time. And I think the convenience of a supermarket, uh, uh, you know, a generation ago, mm-hmm. uh, had had changed the landscape of the future of small uh, retail butcher shops. You know, going being able to go to a supermarket in theory and getting uh, your bread, your your produce, your yeah. beef. That that changed. It, it it's very hard for a small retail butcher shop to stay alive when. Um, when Americans don't have time anymore to go to the baker for the best bread. Like growing up in Brooklyn, we had bakeries on, on almost every other corner. Yeah. You know, fresh bread was all we knew. I mean, my mom used to send me in the morning to get warm bread that came out of the oven from a small little baker on our corner. That was the best bread I ever had in my life. Try mm-hmm. to find that in a supermarket. You can't. Yeah. Try to find high quality beef in a supermarket. It's difficult. Um, but it's not impossible. Um, you know, there are things to look for in, in beef. What's very important is 
that if the beef is packaged with a USDA circle and a number in that circle for the establishment, you could rest assured that any claim on that package is accurate. Okay. Um, we have a federal inspector here. Uh, he's here every night. So when restaurants get inspected on, a, on, a, on, a, on an annual basis and complain, uh, we have inspection here every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it keeps every, our... Wait, it, every night? Yes. Our meat inspector has an office in this building. Wow. And is here with us every night um, for production. Is that... And that's an industry, like, that's a must-have if you're any other... If, if you're a meat producer yeah. and you sell meat to restaurants, yeah. then you must be federally inspected. If you're a meat producer and you sell only retail, yeah. you don't need to be. It's like your Tommy Fagan, your consigliere. Is <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, uh, and and the meat inspection in in America has changed vastly. It, there, it's um, it's something that um, that Lyndon Johnson put in place, and it's it's existed since then, and it's it it gets better and uh, every year, so I. I, I really see meat inspection as something that keeps our industry very safe. Mm-hmm. I just have a couple of like, well, I mean, you can answer them as as long or as short as you'd like to, but just sure. I, uh, my uh, friend Brian Rodriguez, who I was beforehand telling you he's the host of High School Slumber Party, I was just like, oh, this is, I'm getting to interview Pat Lafrida. Like, I got, like, you know, like, any any questions, like, that you can think of? And so, uh, well, I, I noticed in this, it's coming together, but he's a big Met fan. He said, he wanted me to ask you, how did Pat Lafrida's Chop House come to be at City Field? Um, so the Shake Shack is an amazing burger. Right, Every, yeah. everyone loves Shake Shack. It, it, it's it's grown tremendously, and and really, it stems from Shake Shack. So, I made the blend for Shake Shack, and we mm-hmm. still supply all the Shake Shacks that we can get to. Wow, um, and which is a lot of product. Yeah, and Shake Shack opened in City Field. Okay, and the owners of the Mets ate our product there. And they wanted to know who we were and asked us to come in. And I did. And they they asked, you know, they, and so just so everyone knows, if they don't, City Field and the Mets created something in, in a large format that most ballparks do not have. They, 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 they don't see food the way the, way the Wilpons from the Mets did. Yeah. They... Where else can you get fresh, amazing sushi to burgers <laughs> to high-end steaks? Yeah. I mean, they really thought about the customer experience. Yeah. Again, we talk, I talked about costs of just getting to a steakhouse in Manhattan, right? Mm-hmm. The cost of just getting to the ballpark and getting in there with your family. Yeah. To eat a dirty water dog and some stale pretzels, like those days are gone. So they saw that. When they built that 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 park, they built it with the mindset they were going to put the best food possible there, and you see now a, a lot of parks trying to catch up yeah. to what these these guys did. I mean, the Wilpons really had it thought out. So they asked me, "Is there a, a 
we would love to have a signature steak sandwich here at the park. So I went one day and I made them a steak sandwich there on the spot. I didn't think I was going to be making it myself. Okay. I thought the chef's, a chef <laughs> yeah, from yeah, there yeah. was going to be. And uh, everyone there ate it. And like, hey, the season starts in, I believe it was nine or 11 days. Can you can you have something opened that quickly? <laughs> and I don't think it's ever been done before, but we were opened 11 days later for that first opening game and it was a hit ever since so then they they wanted to take it one step further yeah. and and open a chop house which we did and um, it's been extremely successful for us it's really about uh, exposure mm-hmm. you know being a part of of major league baseball and the mets has been really a gift because you asked me earlier about becoming a household name. That's one of the ways that we've become so popular. Yeah. Is that now you have a name to go along with the experience. Um, besides many restaurants using our name on the menu, um, you know, we had our name up and it was about our steak sandwich. And um, that's how that started. I mean, it, it really was an amazing story in itself. And, um, a couple of years later, we have five locations there now. Wow. And you're a Met fan to begin with? Oh, I've so, always been a Met and, yeah. and Yankees fan. And Yankees fan? Okay. Yes. So the Yankees have uh, a great restaurant also. So their high-end New York Yankee Steakhouse yeah. there uh, is, is one of the only good eating experiences at, at Yankee uh, Stadium. So, you know, it, some say, well, the Yankees don't need better food you know the fans are going to come anyway they need it, but they should have it they should have it yeah the, um, they and, and 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 they do in in the the new york yankee steakhouse uh at the stadium sure it is a, a, an amazing restaurant so um but as opposed to city field where you have such a variety of great food yeah uh, it's a vast difference this variety and i just love the layout of that stadium so i am it's very born, casual yes yeah. i was born into a yankee family and I was very pissed off, to put it lightly, when they just what how they treated tearing down the house that Ruth built and then building this. I don't know, just very like they tried to make it look like you know the old stadium, and it's just and I just I see what they did in that in City Field where they did that at like the same time. I'm like, look at you know, look at what they did there, and then clearly then also like sure maybe not even the the setup but the the options that they have and uh it's just it's just not the same i mean no it's even, not even some yeah. you, you have some um patrons of of city field up in the say not even of the mets because they're not going there but just for the game yeah they're going to that that main level where you have all those food options. They have, the br- they have a brewery. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A brewery in a amazing. ball club. It, unheard of. They even, they, I mean, they have it out in the, what's their, was what it, the Brooklyn Cyclones out on Coney Island? Yes. Right? And they have Coney Island Brewery right there, too. They're just, I'm going to an event on May 4th that it's, you know, like the beer festival. I've, in the parking lot, I have did like this like it was the world, I don't know, tour, and it's like the all different food venues and stuff like that. They, I don't know, the Mets just, they, or they, as you said, the, they, the I, I say it because they, they set the stage for what 
an experience at, at a baseball game should be. So I, you're, gonna, you're going to see now changes throughout Major League Baseball yeah. and, and other parks. And really, I, they'll never get the credit unless it's, it's told. I mean, they really deserve the credit. I mean, they, they set the bar to, to great food at uh, those large format events. And, you yeah. know, it's, that's not easy to do. It is not easy to do. Well, thank you for ex- explaining that here. I feel yeah. like that's the U.S. Open is, is very similar. Yeah. How many years have you been there now? Oh, five. Five. Wow. Yeah. Um, let me ask you: Are there is is there are there any days that you're just you're just sick of meat? As far as like even just eating? <laughs> no. 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 Uh, <laughs> see, it, I, I never get sick of meat. No. Have um, you ever had a veggie burger? Yes, of course I've had. Um, I don't eat meat for every meal. Okay. Um, however, I never get sick of meat. To me, meat is uh, it, it's my my comfort area. So sure. uh, I, I you you may get sick at work at at you know dealing with the insurance companies and dealing with trucking. And, yeah. But to, but actually butchering meat and 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 eating meat. Um, and enjoying it, no, never. What do you think of that? What is it called? The Impossible Burger. That, yes. What do you, What do you What do you think of that? So this is a burger that's yeah. It's, it, it's it's made to taste like meat, but it's, yes. But it's veggies, or it's it's, it, it's <laughs> veggies, and we we don't we actually distribute some some of that product also. Okay. Um, look, at some point we need alternate sources of protein. Uh, the Impossible Burger is not going to answer that, but it's 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 at least a step in the future as to, mm-hmm. you know, if if population continues the way it does, uh, how are we going to feed the world? So there's got to be a way. I, I, Impossible Burger, I think the only mistake there is it shouldn't be. It should just be called Impossible Meat, maybe, because we all know burgers, and that's most Americans' comfort food. Yeah. Right. It's a comfort pastime to me. Um, I I just enjoy every stage of making a burger and and eating a burger and and sharing it with friends. Uh, why would I want to put that meat that imitation meat into that arena when it could be used? I David Chang made me a few great dishes, and instead of using um, beef, pork, or veal. He used the impossible burger meat in those dishes, wow. and it was yeah. a great. It was great. You didn't, you, you didn't experience that negative uh, imitation flavor, and I think that's that's where its application will eventually be. I you can that. you can tell the difference, though, right? So. Oh, of course, <laughs> yes. But but in 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 David's cooking, um, no, I I could not taste the difference. Oh wow! Uh, because his his flavors are so you know profound that um, they they overcome it, where in a burger, the burger's what sets the flavor. So whatever that burger's made of, that's yeah. what, that's the experience. So don't steal that from me. <laughs> <laughs> David Chang always referenced on this podcast, big fan of Ugly Delicious. And oh, I love even the guy. I was down in New Orleans recently and went to, you know, watched his episode beforehand and went to Three-Legged Dog where he had the crawfish. And he's just like, he gets on people's cases. He wants to know, like... I feel like you guys might like. I mean, like not in a like mean way, but like clash on a few things because I feel like you're a guy of like tradition 
and he's kind of like push it, you know, pushing the boundaries. But no, but we love both. Yeah, we love both. We love to push the boundaries. Yeah. And um, no, we we have a we have a, a great relationship with David, and, and you know, he's one of those guys that really appreciates what we do. Being, That's awesome. Being yeah. accessible, being a you know, if a restaurant of his has an issue and needs meat. Um, in a short notice, like, hey, I need it now, and it's 6 p.m., Yeah, uh, where are the guys that are going to be able to get it to him? And he, and that's happened, and it happens, whether it's our mistake or their chef forgot to place the order or sure. something, it happens. But the fact that we're accessible yeah. and that we're able to get it, he he, he appreciates that. And, and not everyone does. Everyone takes that for granted. He's one of the few that, that really um, appreciates it. That's good to hear. What's your favorite cut of meat? By far, outside skirt steak. Outside skirt steak, okay. My favorite cut of beef. Beef, okay. My favorite type of meat is lamb. Lamb? Uh, domestic lamb is amazing. Wow. And where is that, and where is that mostly from? Is that... I feel Colorado. Like Colorado? Yes. Okay. So... As I was saying, that the the beef will start off in different parts of the country in yeah. small farms and wind up in the the corn belt. Um, lamb very much uh, winds up in Colorado, interesting, where it's finished off on grain and then distributed through the country. Why Colorado? Um, that's where they had good corn supply as well, oh, okay. and they had a great infrastructure, and they were able to. Um, you know, use economies of scale and set forth a, a bar of quality that mm-hmm. you needed to meet to um, be a part of, of that lamb supply. And domestic lamb, so American lamb, is the best in the world. Wow. Um, and most of the richest cities in the world import our lamb, whereas we import lamb from New Zealand and Australia yeah. because of price. Oh, okay. And it's I've had this conversation with with so many chefs. Yeah. Who at, that ask, okay, uh, I want the best lamb. I want that New Zealand stuff. Yeah, okay, it's good. But you can't compare a domestic lamb to New Zealand or Australian. And we have to carry all three um, because of the price breaks. I mean, American lamb is expensive mm-hmm. um, as compared to Australian or New Zealand. However, uh, you can't compare. Again. All product coming from New Zealand and Australia is frozen at some point. Oh, okay. And go back to what I said earlier about eating fresh meat. You're in a country where that is accessible. It's not like that in every country. So in some countries, you have to buy frozen. Uh, When you could buy fresh domestic lamb, you're not going to ever have a better lamb experience. That's just interesting that, like, so, I mean, I understand that's frozen, but I would just think... To ship that, like the prices that would come with that and importing would, I don't know. Well, that goes to why the American product is so much better. In New Zealand and Australia, there are uh, millions of square acres of state-owned grasslands where they just graze. They mow the lawn for free. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas whereas having to finish off on grain... um, is where the cost comes involved, yeah. but the product that it yields is amazing. I'm glad to hear we're doing something right as a country. This is like, you know, this is oh, making yeah. me feel... I, I think meat is one of America's resources that 
I, I don't want to say it's one of our last resources, but it's one. We're doing it, strong and right. Yes, we are. And yeah. I think that um, I'm, I'm proud of what product we, we make when it comes to the meat. I'm very proud. And I've, I've, I've traveled the world and I've had the world send me product to try. Um, and nothing compares to it. What's the best steak dinner you've had out at a restaurant? Oh, the, I would say I've had so many. Sure. But so when, when you say the best, I would, I would have to now include experiences. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. All around most memorable. Yeah. And I think one of those, one of those places is, um, the Bowery Meat Company. And having the the Bowery steak from Josh Capon, and sitting there with um, a table of chefs who were all our good friends, and and just laughing and enjoying our meal, and then getting that Bowery steak, which is one of the best steaks I've ever had in my life. It's the the rib cap meat from the ribeye, the spinalis oh, yeah. muscle only. Yeah. Um, it, that that that's one of my best memories of a steak. Um, but it, it, it all depends as a kid growing up at, at, till today, I've eaten the steak up at, uh, Raul's, you know, that was where my mom and I used to go and like have family discussions, you know, and to this day, I, I, Raul's is a favorite of mine. Um, and it's not one, you know, it's a small restaurant, always busy. Yeah. Um, and, but just attention to detail. And I, I got to mention at least two others. That, that <laughs> Please, just, yeah. when, when you asked me that question, these I'm, all came to mind. But uh, that's the great thing about a good meal. It's just it, it, what Mike Lamonico does at Porterhouse in the Time Warner Building is just outstanding. Um, his and I, I often order the skirt steak there. <laughs> um, you know, but Porterhouse, New York, is our second office. So when we have meetings and we want to, to show um, friends or clients our product, we, we take them to Porterhouse because you're, you're overlooking Central Park. It's a great experience. Um, and, you know, the food is just rock solid every time I've, I've been in there. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and then just we mentioned it earlier um, before we started this, but um, simple – Simple French food like at Le Ravage in in um, on Restaurant Row is that's another comfort food. So whether it's his domestic lamb chop, which sure. he makes amazing, or the French onion. Oh, burger. that French onion soup burger is just next. Un, un, unreal, unreal, um, and it just mouth watering thinking about it. <laughs> you know, and that's a restaurant in which my father sold to his father. Oh wow! And now I sell to to Paul um, and the cats and the cradle. Yes, <laughs> you know, but it, you know, talk about generational um, bonds. Yeah, it's it, it's it's there. So for your, your, I don't I don't know what to call it. Let's just say your average steak dinner. Um, you know how how much how much is too much to pay for a steak, and how much is too a, little, you know? That's a good question. It's a good question. Um, 
I guess we would have to mention Wagyu and Kobe if we're going to say how much, because those are the most expensive steaks. Sure. Um, so Japanese Wagyu or Japanese Kobe uh, or domestic Wagyu uh, will be your most expensive steaks. And for that type of experience in Manhattan, you know, considering the rent and everything else, you're at about $250. So wow. um, I don't think that's particularly necessary. I think domestic prime steaks are, are my favorite. When it comes to Wagyu and Colby, it has too much marbling for me. It's okay. too much fat to consume. Cooked in the Japanese tradition where it's thinly sliced and seared that's great yeah but to cut that into an american style steak of 18 to 24 ounces somewhere in that range it's way too much uh for me to consume at at one time so i think for a domestic prime aged beef you're at about 120 dollars in manhattan Mm -hmm. um would be at the high end and what do you someone sits down in a restaurant and they see the price. What what what's the price that's too little that you should be like, oh, they don't know, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. A, that's a scare. You're like, oh boy. I would they, say it's yeah, somewhere in the high twenties. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in Manhattan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, we're, yeah. yeah. We're, we're right across from the city. Right. So yeah, yeah uh, that that product is going to be most likely uh, cow meat, which is again in the closer to 40 months of age yeah. those older animals the ungraded ones they know they don't have a grade the grade so low that it, they just opt out of the usda grading system yeah. so um and usually they use the word sirloin gets thrown thrown around a lot you know 12 ounce sirloin for 19.99 right what what's sirloin no one knows what sirloin is yeah. I know what it is. It's three cuts of the love handle of the animal. Um, <laughs> so they'll use any of those three cuts, whichever is cheapest, and make a sirloin steak out of it. But it doesn't really mean much. What's the most exotic meat you've ever had? What's like, you know, the schnozberries of meat, <laughs> to quote Willy Wonka? The most, hmm, I would have to say A5 Oh, so wait, when it comes to beef or just meat in general? Meat in general. I think black bear meat is the black most bear exotic meat? meat I've ever had. Oh, yeah? Yes. I didn't particularly like the experience. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it came from a black bear that I harvested myself during bow season here in New Jersey. And, uh, oh, I wouldn't want to have to eat eat bear meat uh but uh <laughs> on, on a regular basis but um i think the f- the finest beef i've ever had if prepared like i said in the japanese tradition uh would be japanese uh, wagyu okay. um, a5 i mean it just even butchering it when, as your knife passes through it it's just you know you're as a butcher your hand becomes a different sense and the resistance of the meat against the knife is something that you feel in in, in your hand. It, it you almost register it as a different sense. So you could sense as you're cutting through something as a butcher, when you're cutting through and you touch sinew or you you're cutting through fat as opposed to protein. When your knife goes through A5 Wagyu, it it just slides through like butter. 
Um, so, you know, that that's really uh, a different, it is a different breed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's a different <laughs> breed in itself. Before we started recording, we are kind of talking movies and, you know, it is, this is a podcast, it's called Foodie Films and just as far as food representation in films and you just went like, uh, like I'm, you know, what, what exactly did you say? You're just not, you, you just tend not to watch movies that are food related. Food, yeah, no, no they're centered around food. Yeah, centered around food. Um, it, it, only because when you leave work, you want to get away from that. And, <laughs> you know, I, movies to me have been an escape. Like sure. that's, I don't get to go on vacation often. I like it's many years in in between, and when I do go away, it, all I'm thinking about is what's happening back at the facility. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> when I watch a movie that's based around food, yes, I I start to get anxiety about work again. So I tend not to watch those movies. But I am a movie buff. I love movies. Uh, we spoke about a few earlier exactly yeah i told you i mean one of the biggest reasons i started this podcast is john favreau's film chef so you have to watch that especially like i said that's my homework that's yeah exactly that's (laughs) that's your homework it's one of the best i feel like i've just read by a lot of industry people like that's a very fair representation of the kitchen and just you know that people like you see like that's the the donnie brasco of the mafia, exactly, right? exactly. The real life yes. of <laughs> what goes on. John Favreau wanted to do it right, and so he re- he studied and he had you know, the, you know chefs on set, and just really supposedly it's just as far as what I know, I can say that it's pretty accurate. And then just other chefs and restaurant owners, they just say like this is. So I'd be interested interested to hear what you what you think. Which on a, on, you... on our second podcast, we'll yes, we'll have a, re- a Are review. Are you saying you're gonna come back? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's already it's recorded. That's legal. Bonded. Our door yeah. is open to exactly. you always. Yes. All right. I'm 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 digging this. All right. So we're gonna uh, we're not we're, since we're not focusing on you know one movie i figure at least we can do the segment where it's you know a famous food scene so there's just x amount of movies that clearly center on food but there's just so many movies that have great food scenes uh and so right now i'll have you uh pick i've got two options so pick uh right yeah exactly (laughs) so go ahead and pick one all right gangs of new york Ah, okay. I've got, I've got it, I've got it ready to play. So we're gonna watch it. You guys are gonna listen to it, and uh, and then we're gonna talk. Before we're gonna you play that, talk about it. Yeah. This is a kill. This is a kill. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> love, love it. We're made up of the same things: flesh and blood, tissue, organs. I love to work with pigs. The nearest thing in nature to the flesh of a man is the flesh of a pig. Pig, huh? That's right. This is for you, mother. There you go. God bless you. She ain't really my mother. I need that bill. This is the liver. The kidneys. The heart. This is a wound. The stomach will bleed and bleed. This is a kill. 
This is a kill. Main artery. This is a kill. You try. This is the perfect example of a movie that does not give me anxiety to watch a butcher butcher meat like that. That yeah. was great. What I loved about the beginning of that scene is the wrapping of the meat in the newspaper. Yeah. And handing it to mother. That was great. <laughs> that's, because not my, I mean, that's not my mother. That's not my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that, Bill. But um, how authentic that is to have meat in a non-refrigerated room. You have that hog there. Um, he missed one. It's a very accurate depiction of this is a kill. That's a kill. The stomach, that's completely true. Uh, he missed the femoral artery in the leg. Okay. That could have been one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a killer for sure, but an amazing scene. Oh, right? that's just Scorsese, one of his... I mean, he's clearly made so many amazing films, and a lot of films, I mean, just being a, an Italian-American growing up in New York, and, I mean, he's, his mom has even been in his films. His mom is in the... Uh, the famous scene in Goodfellas. I actually have that, you know, the painting, like one dog looking one way, one dog looking the other way. You got this guy in the middle saying, what do you want from me? Exactly. Oh, let me, uh, Ma, can I buy you the the knife to cut the, you know, the foot, what do you call it? The the hoof? The hoof. The The hoof. hoof. I think it's the hoof. Yeah. (laughs) Great scene, awesome. He's coming out, I don't know if you know this, uh, Scorsese in the fall, first time working with Netflix, and he's got a movie coming out. It's called I Heard You. I heard you paint houses, and it's about an Irish hitman from up in New England, and supposedly it's the guy that, you know, everyone says they killed Hoffa, but uh, it's coming out, it's De Niro. Can we find that guy once? I, that's one <laughs> thing that we, we need to do as a society, just so we don't have that question at JFK, how many shooters were there? Can we find Hoffa's? Yeah, we just, I, just, we, we yeah. won't want to know that story, but I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's got Pacino. It's got Pesci coming out of oh, retirement. We it's need got him Harvey, back. It's got Harvey Keitel. And they're doing that whole, I don't know if you've seen the movies, that it's a big thing. They do it a lot in the Marvel movies and some Star Wars. They're de-aging them. And supposedly Scorsese and Robert De Niro like gave it their Catholic blessing oh, wow. and said it looks fantastic. And they're already, Netflix had uh, Roma that was nominated for uh, an Academy Award and they did not win. And so they're already like churning it. They made a big announcement that, because Roma had like a limited release, limited like wide release. And also the the Academy's making it tougher for streaming channels to win awards. And so they've already announced and it's not coming out till this fall that they're going to do a wide release of over four weeks of this movie. But then you can also watch it on Netflix. That so. sounds amazing. And what's your favorite character that Harvey Keitel played? <laughs> Judas in The Last Temptation of Christ. Oh, he's like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, I mean, that and obviously Mean Streets. and Winston Wolfe. Oh, oh yeah, Pulp and Fiction. I see myself yeah. as Winston. Wolf. Oh yeah, you're, and a, cl- often, you're a cleaner. <laughs> I often, yeah, especially in this business where I said, you know, restaurants need meat; they need it now. So yeah. when I'm speaking to my staff, sometimes like you don't need to yell. I'm like, I'm not yelling. Yeah. I'm being curt. You know, <laughs> I'm being curt with you right now. Give me a cup of coffee. This is yeah. a fucking good cup of coffee. <laughs> Classic scene. Oh, yeah. I was even just thinking Scorsese, but going to Tarantino with him, that's it's 45 like, minutes away. I'll be there in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Tarantino. Hey, look, look like a couple of dorks. <laughs> <laughs> Love that scene. It's classic. A, oh, okay. So and I can't watch yeah. that whole movie. There's some, there's some parts of that movie that's so disturbing. Yeah. Like uh, when they get 
kidnapped in the gimp. Oh, I, I, yeah. I can't. I can't. I, gotta look, I have to look away. Yeah. But um, yeah, that is a classic, classic part. Well, you know what? I, I think I want you. You know, I have only have the two options, and we're not you know featuring a movie. So why don't you go ahead and go ahead and read uh, what the what the section second option was? Freddie got fingered. <laughs> <laughs> The, not not a not a food movie, but not uh, a food movie. But um, I I think that we all have a little Tom Green in us, at least here at Lafreda. Like we all have that that <laughs> sense of humor of how do we, what can we do to drive our dad crazy? Yeah. Uh, whether it's intentional or not. Yeah. And uh, the sausage scene with uh, with Tom Green and his dad is just hilarious because the father comes in and it's that classic. I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed. There's <laughs> <laughs> my son. You know, I forget exactly verbatim, but yeah. you know, we'll put, we'll we'll quick play you guys a scene. information this is me being creative betty told me this is what i need to do in order to become an artist oh yeah is it working i don't know i can't think of anything to draw because i'm so stupid i'm so stupid i'm so stupid i'm so stupid i'm 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 He's a character, your dad. <laughs> he is? Yeah. He's a character? Oh, shit, it's your dad. He's a real character. He's a real Bye, character. Bye, Mr. and Mrs. He's Brody. A Bye, Mr. Mrs. He's a real Brody. character. Sausage. Oh, Sausage. look, honey, our boy's a genius. He's rigged a pulley system so he can eat sausage and work on his stupid drawings. And being creative? Now, if you'll excuse me, I still have some work to do. Daddy, would you like some sausage? Daddy, would you like some sausages? Daddy, would you like some sausage? Sausages! Sausages! Now, you just get outside and you just cool off. If this were Pakistan, you would have been sewing soccer balls when you were four years old. Yeah, I mean, okay. <laughs> Rip Torn comes in. Oh, he's And like amazing. you said, that face, that just like, there he is again, the scrub song. <laughs> and as again, look, my dad is, I don't want to call him like a, a man's man, but he's definitely, point B, he's, he's a tougher guy than me. He's the hardest worker I know, like 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 your dad. And like, exactly. and like, and like, and like you, he gets up wee hours of the morning. They, as your yeah, your dad is literally where are we are. He's looking over us, in this giant in this portrait. Someone gave us that portrait as a gift. And yeah. But like I, I was always a creative mind and just doing silly films with my friends. I even there was one time we were filming uh, a, a, like a little segment at my friend's house, and his dad was a very stoic man, and I, I honestly think that he like 
like is a cleaner for the mob. <laughs> like he just come, he would come home from AC and be like, oh, I want money again. Like every kid went to college, no problem. Bought a Cadillac for his in law. And I'm just like, so I'm very scared by this man. Uh, yeah, but, blaming blaming winning at the at the casino is usually yeah. a, 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 a red flag. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, we were doing like a stupid little thing where we were doing a knockoff like Jerry Springer, and I I used uh, I had long hair in high school, and I I thought I looked like Fabio. I probably looked more like Meatloaf, but uh, <laughs> but but like he walked out and I'm wearing so I have long hair and it's like a Jerry Springer uh you know uh type segment we're doing and I'm wearing his like like my friend's sister's like sweater and he just comes down my I usually wear my hair in a ponytail and I have it down and he sees me in this sweater and he just (laughs) he looks at me and then just turns around goes up the stairs and I'm just like I want to watch and this movie came out around the same time and I'm just like yeah that's just how most I feel like authority figure <laughs> look I, I, yeah I, I think I, I, I think we all can, um, that that have been lucky enough to have a father figure or father um, have seen that look of disappointment in their face yeah. and, and and to me uh, it's a very famous story with my dad uh, a very stern guy never drank a, a bit of alcohol in his life mm-hmm. you know he sat me down when I was about 12. 13 years old at the kitchen table and he lit a a cigarette and he poured a shot of Johnny Walker I'm sorry um, Jack Daniels so warm Jack Daniels from the cupboard a bottle that someone had given him as a gift and he did smoke a cigarette that came out of his pack and he made me inhale a cigarette Uh and sip that that uh, alcohol and he said, do you like that? As I was coughing and turning green and ready to vomit, he's like, you don't like it? Good. Then never do it. Never do either. And it wasn't until college that yeah. I ever got drunk for the first time. Yeah. You know, just because I didn't want to see that face of disappointment. Like, he told me not to do this. Um, you know, he quit smoking and it, years later. It was, it was it was difficult. But he really instilled, you know, those those uh, those values in in. And the four of us, I have yeah. two brothers and a sister. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he was very strict. Yeah, I've never seen Daddy, would you like some sausage? But, you know, <laughs> that's, that's Tom Green. Tom Green is Tom Green. That's, uh, he's uh, over the top. Yeah. And I, we love over the top. You have to have, you have to have some outlet for, you You know, you work hard and, yeah. you know, you want to, you, you want to have some, something to just take your mind off of, of, uh, any anxieties you have in life sure for me it's always been movies and when i had um problems with insomnia i'd go right to movies so especially 80s comedies would put me to sleep or i'd go to sleep laughing at rodney dangerfield most of the time Uh, yeah i have to ask you like what are some of your all-time favorites Uh, yeah caddyshack oh yeah Um, somebody sit on a duck <laughs> the fact that he didn't know while filming that how funny he was, and yeah. he was sweating through those scenes, and then after he was, he almost walked off the set because he was embarrassed of yeah. his p- performance when they were the most classic scenes in in my life. I mean, those scenes have got me through more hard times than yeah. than anything. You know, put that on that's a cure all for me. <laughs> we covered a scene of his on an episode as like a famous food scene. Uh, guest selected. Uh, I had down the scene from Back to School where he makes the sandwich in the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah. hold this. Uh, yeah, hold the, yeah, I learned this. <laughs> <laughs> and he cuts, puts, like, deviled eggs. It's just, like, the giant, you know, it's all so small. You know, he just ca- cracks open a beer. 
He's just he was he was the best. I see you. I see Raul. But what's yeah. with the midget? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. And what, what what would you say is also like one of your just like your all time? Oh, back to school. Is, yeah, oh, is one to, of yeah. them. One hundred percent. Yeah, back to school is one of them. I I I could recite that movie. Yeah. I love the fact that his first wife in that movie is. One of the two hot chicks from Cannonball Run, which was another oh, yeah, classic. Yeah. Uh, her name escapes me for the moment, but um, Cannonball Run, Smoking the Bandit, those are amazing. You just can't find movies like that anymore. Yeah, Cannonball Run. Recently, I had to I had to search the web to find it. They they it's not easily available. No, you which can is, find which is really... Cannonball Run two. Yeah, which they should never have made. But <laughs> <laughs> but Cannonball Run. With that lineup of Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Burt Reynolds, I mean, it just the list goes on. It's yeah. just a classic uh, laugh off through the entire movie. I find myself more and more. I mean, I I love my favorite era of cinema is like seventies. Like when once like I forget where where they they're not the Brat Pack. Obviously, that's the like the what comes in the eighties. But whatever the the name was for like Spielberg, Scorsese, Coppola. De Palma when they started making films like that's my favorite era but I'm finding myself you know I, I studied film in school and obviously I learned my Hitchcock and my Kubrick and Ford and all all of that but I'm just going back more and more just because like you said they don't make films like that anymore I was just even uh uh last night um I what, what, what was I watching? Oh, I watched Gold, I watched uh, Goldfinger, and it's just like Great. to watch that like and and I'm laughing at some parts of the action, the choreography of the fights, and it's just like but like I wish I could have the experience of watching that when it came out with like that's what court fight choreography was right. You know, it's just like a little. I, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Same here, and I mean. You know, you have kids watch it now, and I mean, even I was a child of the '90s. Wait, we got to back up for a second. Yeah. You're a huge Star Wars fan. Yeah. Of which? Oh, the oh, like '77 to '83. The trilogy. four, five, yeah, and four, six. Five, six. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Star Wars. I won't even say a New Hope. One Star was Wars Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that uh, came out in '90. And I'm I'm gonna say I was in sixth grade. It was 1999. I I loved. I saw it three times in theaters because I was in I was how how twelve years old and Jar Jar to me was funny but I mean I still loved like you know Vader and Luke and Han like that to me Amazing. is you know and like the new trilogy I'm, I'm I'm enjoying but still it's like the original trilogy for me but you have so many kids that watch that now and go like you know like what is the act you've got an old man fighting like what at that time you just thought was like a r- robot man because you know Darth Vader was like a human you know Luke's father right spoiler alert sorry <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you have that's your fight and then you have like you know some gunfights from the Millennium Falcon and then the X-Wings of the TIE Fighters then you watch them now and you have like they're doing leaps and they're doing you know these crazy but they got better they, yeah they got they got better but I'm from just, one to now they got better yes but four five and six for a while there they were in their own yeah. class, and they said the the bar to what, um, like what what is that fantasy? You know what 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 you just to recreate those that story and the, it, it's something about and you studied film the texture of of filming with those cameras in that era. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. You could be much younger now and watch four or five and six and pick out the special effects yeah. and but. To us, when that came out, like that was, you know, 
amazing. Yeah. And um, to recreate that in a virtual reality or what what do you call uh, the special effects now? Oh, just like I mean the CGI. Yeah, CGI. Yeah. So, yeah. so now the watch, it, the watch in CGI, it, it's not as good no. to someone. Like myself, who's 47 years old, who grew up with the four, five, and six of Star Wars, mm-hmm. which you know, you know, that was the real deal. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, model airplanes. You, I could just in my mind see the model airplanes coming in. Like, I knew how they did it, but it was still at the time, uh, those were the go-to movies. They really were. Well, mo- moving on to the last uh, segment of the show. Actually, I just I I realized I um missed one question that I, I wanted to ask because it was something I, again, read in your book and what's like the, I don't want to say weirdest or oddest, but just like that one order that just really, like someone said, we need this, we need that. Well, I, I could just tell you oh, that. Oh, yeah, please, I, no, please, I, yeah, exactly. What comes to mind? Exactly. So I was at, I was, uh, Mineta Tavern had just recently been rated as the number one steakhouse in New York City. Okay. So it was big deal and uh, Riyad Nasser and Lee Hansen the two chefs at the time were amazing guys and still are but I was at a wedding in a tuxedo so a black tie wedding and Riyad called me on my cell phone and he needed marrow bones split for that night and I had to run into our shop in Manhattan at the time yeah and cut marrow bones on the bandsaw, split them, femur bones, split them in a tuxedo. <laughs> hey, talking to James Bond here. Here and we go. Raina, it's Winston Wolf. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah, and Raina and Raymond yeah. yeah. to Manetta Lane to give him to, to Riyadh was great for him to say that, yeah, it was for the next morning. I was like, Oh, I could have done that after the wedding, but actually, I wanted to leave the wedding anyway. <laughs> Did you bring a nice cut of meat back for the the bride and groom? I didn't go back. <laughs> didn't go back. <laughs> well, uh, that's that's a pre- that's a crazy story. Um, well, like I said, last segment, it's called Gut Instincts. It's a speed round, but like whatever you know, just whatever comes to mind, whatever you know, Gut Instinct. Favorite fast food? Do you even eat it? <laughs> Yes, favorite fast food I would say is Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A. What's your go-to uh, alcoholic beverage of choice? Beer, cocktail, or are we? Vodka. Vodka. Yes, I love Tito's. Ah, nice, nice Texas Tito's brand. on the yeah. rocks with some lime. There you go. That's my go-to. Favorite childhood snack. Boar's head bologna. Nice. I I love bologna. Oh, like a sliced paper thin. That was always, exactly. We would go to that meat market. I would go with my mom, and that was uh, like he would, and they would, you know, of course, that style plays handy a couple slices, and that was just yeah. Yeah, it was always great to get that slice handed over the counter yeah. to you, right? It's the best. I'm like, why do I deserve this? <laughs> but thank you so much. Like you praised. Uh, sweet or savory? Savory. savory. I would be very surprised if you said sweet. I mean, yeah. <laughs> favorite. I, listen, I, I like my sweets, but yeah, you know, but savory. Yeah. Favorite food city, and I'd like to add domestic and an international to that. Oh, New York. Okay. By far. Yeah. And internet and internationally. Internationally, I would say, uh, Turin in, uh, in in the Piedmont region of Italy. Nice. 
I've only been to Rome. I need to. Italy's one of those trips. I'm like, I want to really do Italy. I want to do it with someone. I want to be a romantic trip. So I was in Rome by myself. So that wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I could have a Rome. I could have a love affair with all the food and the country. So I, I was there to experience Italy ah. before Italy opened in Manhattan. Oh, cool! I was summoned to look and feel the experience of what it's like and help recreate that experience on Fifth Avenue. That's awesome. Wow. Hell of a trip. Favorite cuisine? I mean, I'm in a meat business. <laughs> so, I, I would have to say Italian. Yeah. Uh, but Italian-American. Okay. Let's be specific. Yeah, there's, hey, there's a big difference. There's a yeah. huge difference in authentic Italian and Italian-American, but there's something about, you know, Sunday sauce and Palio Regatta cheese uh, yeah. on my pasta with, you know, braised short rib, boneless short rib in it. And I, this is something that as a, you know, New Jersey, New York, and then obviously Italian-American Sauce versus gravy. What is what? What's in what? What do you call it? We never used the word gravy, I, except if it was on a turkey and it was brown. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. Then so, all of a sudden I heard gravy, then by some Italian-Americans, is red sauce with meat in it. I was like, oh. That's right. bolognese. That I, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, okay. So I'm not, we never used that word gravy. Yeah. I hear it yeah. now. I, as a kid in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn... It wasn't ever part, Yeah, just what you put <laughs> brown stuff you put on turkey. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good to know. Um, guilty pleasure food. Guilty pleasure. Foie. I would say foie gras. Ah. That's the fanciest guilty pleasure food we've had on this <laughs> on the show. I like it. I'm addicted, and they're considering outlawing it in New York, which is a big... Really? It's going to... That would... That would that would hurt a lot of people. Wow. It really would. Especially seeing how those birds are fed and and treated well in Hudson Valley, New York. Um, it makes no sense to outlaw for. Yeah. No sense at all. Yeah, I see it. I follow you on Instagram. Uh, there was a certain dish recently that was like wrapped in foie and... and so many. There's so many. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One recently that just looked absolutely phenomenal. But uh, that's 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 sad to hear. I'll have to get some places from you that I'll have to try it in case it does happen. So, um, If it happens, it's going to be like Prohibition, where we'll still be supplying it. Okay. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll... I'll get into that then. I will go. What did De Niro, De Niro say in uh, The Untouchables? You know it and I know it. People are going to drink. Yeah. <laughs> I lo- oh, Elliot knows the damn. What, what are you planning on doing? Having a drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, your favorite condiment? Simply Hellman's mayo. So, so good, right? Yeah. You, you might as well waste your time doing something else instead of making your own mayo. Yeah. Hellman's mayo. That's it. Simple. Yeah. I put a dollop on that on my burger. I put it, I mix it with a steak sauce that we make to put on burger on, on a burger also. Uh, but it's, it's in a lot of dishes that I eat. Boy, that just shows you right there. The guy makes a sauce or a condiment and you said, and you said Hellman's. That's I right. I love it. What's the last thing you ate? The last thing I ate was a jelly omelet. All right. Just don't forget, this is nighttime for you, but morning for me. Yeah. <laughs> but have you ever had a jelly omelet? No. Yeah, please, 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 please tell what it is. No, it, simply, it's, it's an omelet 
that that's stuffed with jelly, um, and you would expect something savory to be in egg, like cheese. Yeah, or, yeah. But um, it's it's a an old Brooklyn diner favorite of my dad's. Okay. And he always made me jelly omelets, and I had one this morning, okay. uh, my morning, a couple well, hours yeah. ago. Yeah. What kind of jelly? Smucker's raspberry yeah, jelly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was simple. You know, that's. I mean, you know, that's. People sometimes it's funny to me. People uh, are just like, "Oh my God, did you?" You know, like I can't think of something off the top of my head, but I'm just like, "How how good this is!" Like you wouldn't think this and this go together. I'm like, "Yeah, sweet and savory." Like you know, and that's the perfect example of just like, yeah, and you know, and just just try it. Like you know, people sometimes you're having breakfast and you got jelly on your you know your toast and then right, the right. egg runs into it. And, right. You know, that's people love putting talk about you know fast food Wendy's the fries into the frosty and everything. You know, it's nothing. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm I've gonna, never tried that before. I'm but. gonna try that. Yeah. What would be your last meal? My last meal would be. Oh, we would have to work truffle into it. But my last meal would be. Skirt steak pinwheels, barbecued in my backyard. Um, prepared the way, I was taught by and this, a, a butcher that worked for my dad who used to before working for my dad was a owned his a retail butcher shop and that butcher shop failed because of supermarkets uh after he had been in business for 30 years but he had a way of taking skirt steak and lying it out very simply um sprinkling fresh parsley grated cheese lemon zest and um rolling it and tying it and then splitting it open and then you're able to grill my favorite cut of beef <sighs> with something that's very simple to make. Yeah. Um it 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 looks amazing also. But it that flavor is amazing. So I guess we'll take the truffle and mix it into the mashed potatoes or there you go. <laughs> shave it over fries or something as a side. But truffle's gotta be part of the equation somehow. So I'm coming over this weekend, right? Yes. Okay, thank you. Uh, do you prefer to uh, dine at home or dine out? I always prefer to dine at home. Um, I, I, there are times when when dining out makes more sense, especially in when you need to attend to your guests or if you're taking someone out to dinner. Um, but... If I had my preference, it would be dining at home. Nice. I feel like it's going to have to be a meat, but maybe we'll figure out a specific cut. What would be your spirit food? What food best embodies you and your personality? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not me. Maybe it'll surprise me. Wait, say that question again? What? What's your spirit food? What food best embodies, like, you know, your personality? So you seem, you know... What comes to mind of our... Or sweetbreads, sweetbreads. So, the thymus gland of 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 veal. Ah, okay. Sweetbreads are. Uh, that would be my spare food. I like it. That's. When was the last time you had sweetbreads? Last time I had sweetbreads. I think th- three three years ago. Yeah. Because. It's actually mentioned in that film, Chef, and I ended up doing a cross-country road trip, like stopping at the places they stop it, because it ends up being a road trip movie. And so I stopped in like Miami and New Orleans and Austin and then out in L.A., and I had it out in L.A. And what, something went wrong? 
No, no. Oh, okay, no, no, okay. No, no, it's just, yeah, just, I don't know, I, if you have a recommendation of where I can uh, get it around here, I just... Uh... Uh, Le Ravage makes a great one. Oh, okay. But um, I think the only mistake you can make with sweetbreads is to overcook them. Okay. Just, that's the only problem I've ever seen uh, with sweetbreads. If you overcook them, it's like calf's liver. I love calf's liver. Mm-hmm. But mu- very much like Bill the Butcher. Yeah. Remember how he seared that steak? Cook? It sure. barely even yeah. seared. Yeah. He touched the heat, flipped it, touched the heat, and then yeah. he threw it down and he ate it. That's really how I eat my meat. Oh, wow. So that's a, another why, reason why I really love that scene. That's awesome. You go to the movies. What, what, what's your favorite movie snack? Kit Kats. Nice. Gotta have them. Give me a break. <laughs> Gotta have them. But you know what? You just said something. Go to the movies. What's your favorite snack? We're limited. When are they going to follow the city fields? That's a... Uh, I like that. And yeah. uh, They're starting to, but the food's not there. No. It's not it, there yet. I, I'm a, I enjoy going to... I don't know if you've ever been to like an Alamo draft house. No. But that's a... Uh, there's actually... There's one in Brooklyn. There's one Yonkers, but they're opening one up kind of like right near one world and uh and you know it's a place that you they got a bar inside and they got all local beers usually like in the in the lobby area bar and you can you know stand or sit out there and have a beer uh for as long as you want and then till a movie or after and that's one of those places that while you're sitting they come around the beginning they take your order and they have some stuff and it's theme stuff but in the end of the day it's like yeah nothing but at least it's it's, it's getting there yeah. otherwise you know you're picking off you know your choices are the same as you would have at a bodega, you know. To eat, yeah. Right? So, um, and that's why I I now prefer movie theaters that I can book my seat. Oh, I'm not rushing yeah. to the seat with four people, four friends, and you have to sit you know, split up. Yeah. Um, it, so that 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 should have that should happen maybe, years ago. <laughs> maybe that's the next. Is that the next venture? Are you gonna you want to you you change? The food scene in baseball. Are you going to change it? I would love to. <laughs> I, I, I would love to change the scene in 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 movies. I mean, again, when we as viewers, we're not complaining about the movie ticket price. Uh, you know, we're not. We're you're getting us to the theater. You know, there are a lot of good movies that come out every year. Give us some good food options. Yeah. You have to kind of make your. your choose your movie time and then you have to make sure you you leave time before or after to eat and the two should should really be one i like that a lot last question what's the greatest lesson you've learned in food i think it's that you cannot hide your sins in in i say in the meat grinder and what i mean by that is you cannot, the love that you give the food, you're going to get it back. So we take some extra time and care in what we do. Mm-hmm. And that's that makes us successful. The meat companies that went the route of the cheapest and most efficient way of meat that you could get through an eight-hour shift, you know, they become a commodity. And what we do is something special. So what I've learned in food is that the more love you put into what you're, you're um, providing or what you are serving a guest or a client, um, you're, you're going to get it back 
uh, tenfold. There's no perfect answer, but that is a perfect answer. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, I can't thank you enough for having me here at your facility. Uh, I kind of, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I I, kind of want a tour sometime, maybe. I feel like it's... We're going to go for a tour right now. Yeah? Yes. Whoa, okay. Is it okay if I film a little bit of it? Of course. Whoa, so you guys, if you're listening to this, there's also some video coming, so here we go. Uh, Be footage. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> this is i feel like you're like the you know the 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 meat version of willy wonka like i'm, I'm just you're gonna, gonna see that i'm gonna see oompa loompas yes you're gonna see that <laughs> but again thank you so much please tell everyone that's listening where they can reach you you know social media wise and just any anything like that obviously you got your book meat so check, find that i bought it on amazon you know but please tell people you can follow us on Instagram and all the social media uh, outlets at Pat Lafrida. And um, it was a pleasure having you. Obviously, as I said, you'll be back. <laughs> we have a little catchphrase to end every episode that actually comes from uh, my grandmother, who I spoke of early, earlier with you. And she always, when she's serving a big meal and the plates are emptying and it's just like, oh, you're looking at the table. She's like, don't worry, there's more to cut. So if you can just <laughs> remind the foodies out there that there's that there's more to cut. To everyone listening, always remember there's more to cut. Oh, I just I'm I'm giddy right now. Thank you. Alright, this is uh, alright, foodie fans. See you later. <laughs> yummy, 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 I got love in my tummy and I feel like I'm loving you.